Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Coffee and Co-Sleeping. I'm Amanda. And I'm Adriana. This morning, we are very excited to have Zara Arshad on with us. We're going to be talking about navigating your relationship post-baby. This has been one of our most requested topics, so we are excited to dive right in. But before we do, Zara is a registered psychotherapist, a certified perinatal mental health therapist, and a relationship expert that specializes in postpartum couples therapy. So we couldn't have found a more fitting person to join us. Welcome, Zara. Thank you. Thanks, Adriana. Thanks, Amanda. Good morning, Zara. As Adriana said, this has been our most requested topic. I'm so excited to dive in. But before we do, could you tell our listeners a little bit about you and the work that you do? Yeah, so I'm a couples therapist, and I specialize in working with couples in the postpartum period. Um, That could also mean couples who are expecting or couples in committed relationships. I started to specialize in this line of work just after my own postpartum experiences. I married myself. I have two little kids. And after I had my postpartum experiences and realized there was such a gap in mental health support for young couples who are in this phase of life, that's when I decided, you know, this is something I would like to try to help and bridge the gap in society in some way. I know we follow each other on Instagram. We run something called a secret Saturday where we kind of open the floor for parents to message in with anything they might be going through. I mean, we hear a little bit about everything, but one of the things that we hear most about and most of the secrets that are shared are relationship pressures and strains postpartum in early parenthood, I would say, especially. And we hear everything from, unfortunately, infidelity to in-law pressures, which constrain a relationship, to expectations being something that maybe a couple is struggling with, difference in expectations between two partners. And we also do get a lot of questions and a lot of secrets about sexual differences in a partnership and how that can affect a relationship. But overall, we definitely hear the majority of secrets that are being shared revolving around relationship disconnects and discomforts. Zara, why do you think that it's such a difficult time for couples? I know before we hit record, I mentioned that I am married. My husband and I, we just celebrated our 11th wedding anniversary. We got married quite young. We were 19 and 21. Um, We had our daughter um, after seven years of marriage. But why is the postpartum period such a difficult time for new couples? Mm -hmm. So there's a few reasons. Number one, as I mentioned in my introduction, why I do what I do is because there's such a lack of preparation that's given to couples, not in terms of caring for the baby. I feel like that information is still present somewhere, you know, either online or among friends or, you know, those prenatal, postnatal classes. But when it comes to supporting the couple's relationship, that sort of information is not out there. And the couple's relationship, I believe, does require support in a time that's quite stressful. I mean, having a baby as joyous of an occasion that is for maybe not all people, but most people, you know, it is a huge uh, stressor on the couple's relationship. Those sort of talks, those sort of discussions, those sort of preparations, that heads up is not given to couples ahead of time. I would say that's one reason. Another is unresolved issues. Things like, let's say you've had experiences in your relationship that either have been not traumatic, but maybe even deeply hurtful, triggers, communication issues, issues with your connection. If all of that has been there before baby, it's going to get exasperated after baby. 
So that's, I think, another reason why it gets difficult after having a baby. Because couples, I think, are not prepared to face the reality of what happens after you have your baby, couples also don't know how to engage in dialogue and discussion and talk about life after baby. I I noticed a lot of the focus, and this was me as well with me and my husband, a lot of our focus was, you know, the pregnancy, the baby showers, the ultrasound appointments, the buying the clothes, the setting up the nursery, even, you know, going up to birth labor plan, you know, birth plan, managing the contract, uh, the contractions and all of that. We talked about all of that. But what about after that discussion never happened? That wasn't even in our minds. Because again, I think couples are not prepared of what's going to come after the baby's born. The very obvious, you're extremely sleep deprived, sleep deprivation, like that's your basic, basic needs, sleep, rest, comfort, food. Those are your basic foundational physical needs. All of us as humans, we need those to survive. And those are the needs that take a bit of a hit after a baby's born, especially the one that has to do with sleep and rest. So when you've, you don't have enough adequate rest, you're going to be more on edge. Your faculties will be compromised. Your abilities to handle things, to manage things, the stressors, the patience levels, all of that. Your tolerance basically changes when you don't have enough sleep. So I would say it would be all those factors that make the postpartum period challenging for couples. What you just said really uh, resonated with me that issues that you have pre-baby are only exacerbated by the entrance of a child into Mm -hmm. your life. Uh, My marriage ended very shortly after I had my son, a month after I had my son. Mm. It did not take long for all of the issues that we had to very quickly surface, Um, even throughout the pregnancy. I I really think that like parenthood starts in pregnancy. You already start to sort of encompass those qualities and um, maybe start having the conversations, not to the depths that we should, as you were saying, but definitely the ball starts rolling in pregnancy. And I think especially for women as we're the ones that are carrying the child. So I can completely relate to that. I think that there are things that are within your relationship that need a deeper dive as a couple or things that maybe you're looking to work on or you're not satisfied with or you're worried about. Those are things that should not be left to be looked at until baby is in the picture. That that was definitely um, true in our case. And it is very easy to focus on all of those kind of wonderful, sparkly, sometimes scary things in the beginning, you know, like the baby shower and the nursery and, you know, the coming home outfit. It's, It's easy to get wrapped up in those things. And I think another thing is, is that we immediately associate having a tougher conversation about a relationship with possibly something being wrong. Like, oh, well, if we have to talk about the relationship possibly suffering, that must mean that we're not strong enough. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that. It just means that this is a very normal thing to be under some kind of strain once baby gets there. Like you said, sleep deprivation, newness for everyone, major life adjustment, dealing with something that you really don't know what it's going to be like until you're in it. Yeah, I think I think all of those things, as you were saying, can definitely cause a disconnect. And, and it's almost normal for that to happen. It's more so about preparing for mm-hmm. that disconnect and admitting that that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with your relationship. Mm-hmm. So are there things that a couple can do um, knowing this, knowing that there may be a strain and that that can be very normal? Are there things that a couple can do to better prepare their relationship? 
Yeah. So number one, right away, if like, you know, there are certain things your relationship struggles with, but it's manageable. You're like, you know what, that happens and it bothers me, but whatever, we get over it. Or you know what, we fight about this, but it's like once in a while and then we figure out a way to get over it. That's all well and good. But just know that stuff like that is what gets exacerbated. So if there's something that is a bother or a trigger point or a nuisance, start working on it from now. Start having those conversations from from now about it. You know, let's say you guys, uh, two partners, you know, operate on different schedules, for example. One sleeps in more, one stays awake later. I'm just giving a random example. Let's say something like that. And let's say it bothers one partner that that's, you know, you have like a slightly different schedule. But you, whatever, it's not such a big deal. You manage it, you get over it, you move on. But something like that is going to become a huge issue after baby's born that's going to turn into major fights in the relationship. So start working on it from now. Start opening up those conversations right now with that sort of positive outlook. Like, look, this is something that bothers me. And I know it hasn't been such a big deal. I've been able to cope with it. But I'm just a little bit worried that once baby arrives, this could turn into a bigger deal. You know, would you be willing to work on this with me from now? So start working on those issues. If it's something that seems a little bit out of your hand, you know, it's something that you feel like you won't be able to resolve or you're trying to, but it's just an issue that keeps creeping in. It's not getting resolved. It's a great time to seek professional help. Go book an appointment with a couples therapist or an individual therapist and start working on things. I mean, before pregnancy, if you can do it, great. Then just do it during pregnancy. Start couples therapy and start working on those issues. Uh, so that would be one way to prepare your relationship. Another way I would say is communicating expectations. I think that's something we we don't do as couples. We tend to live in a world of assumptions and mind reading. You know, we believe our partners can read our minds and they should just know what to do, um, or we just assume things about our partner without ever really directly asking them about it. So start communicating your expectations ahead of time. You know, this is what I expect. We're going to raise our child together. Talk about parenting styles, for example. Talk about managing schedules, for example. Talk about your expectations of your partner, not only as a partner, but as a parent raising this child with you. Talk about your expectations of yourself as a parent and a partner in this relationship. Start opening up those conversations and start compromising, negotiating ahead of time. Start having those conversations. Don't shy away from them. And if you need support in having those conversations, do it with a therapist. I think one mm -hmm. of the reasons most couples don't have these conversations before baby, as important as they are, I don't think people realize what a strain a new baby can put on a marriage because it's not often talked about. And I feel like that's why our Secret Saturday is so flooded with all of these responses. You know, women either seeking advice or venting about their marriage or just kind of, you know, talking things out because nobody else is talking about it. And that's why we appreciate your account so much on Instagram, because you're having these conversations, you're offering these tips and resources for parents at a time that they're really needed the most. I love what you're saying about the expectations, because I think that is so important. And I always say my husband is a way better communicator than I am. And he was the one who brought up the conversation um, as far as work. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of things that this, I'm trying to word it in a way that doesn't like make me sound bad, but there's like a lot of decisions that I make for our family. Like I feel like I'm kind of the default parent. Like I do our finances, mm -hmm. our calendar, all of those things. And my husband's just like, yeah, of course I trust you. Yeah. 
So the one thing that he kind of pushed back on was that he didn't want our daughter to be in full-time daycare. And he Mm -hmm. said, you know, if we could hire a nanny full-time, if we could, he goes, you know, I'm not telling you to compromise your career because you worked hard and you have a career and you work full-time. And he wasn't, you know, he's in the military, so he can't really change his. So we sat down and we had a discussion about it. And it's like, where do we, you know, where do we change? What do we do? We work opposite schedules. Does one of us do part time? Does somebody leave their job? And that was, you know, it was an easy conversation, Mm -hmm. thankfully, because I was dying to not work full time. Mm -hmm. But for some people, you know, who's going to make those decisions? Who's going to be the one home? Who's going to be predominantly with the child? Those kind of things, I don't think they're often talked about until you're kind of thrown in it and you're like, oh, you're expecting Mm -hmm. me to do this? Or why aren't you doing that? And then that resentment really builds up. Exactly. And those are the things that we don't prepare as a society, we don't prepare couples for, you know, the idea is not to scare away couples like, hey, you know, your baby's going to screw up your marriage, because let's be honest, it's not the baby that's screwing up your marriage, your marriage or your partnership already had issues. They just really got highlighted and brought out when your tolerance level, patience level, all of that was not operating at its best because of lack of sleep and, you know, all those things. If those things are talked about more commonly, not as a way to scare, but hey, this is reality, but this is something the two of you will be able to handle. Just start opening up those discussions right now. Then couples will know, okay, so we need to start actually talking about this. We need to talk about life after birth, not life until birth. It's not, I'm not saying that these conversations are going to be easy by any means. You're probably still going to get into arguments. There might be some tension. There might be some conflict. But guess what? It's going to be so much worse you trying to have this conversation after baby because you're sleep deprived. You're exhausted. You're tired. Your needs are not being met. Your partner's needs are not being met. Some of you could be feeling at your wits end. It's a lot of strain on the relationship. And then you're trying to engage on a topic about, well, this is what I expect of you. That might not go as smoothly as it would if you had those conversations before baby. Start having those conversations. I would really recommend couples to do that. And you know, have those conversations from the mindset of we're a team. We're not two people on opposite sides of the playing field. We're the same team. We are a partnership. You know, whether we have made a decision to plan for this baby or not, this baby's coming. There are things we're going to have to figure out together. So let's start figuring it out before the baby arrives. For people who maybe don't necessarily prepare before, we get, um, like I said, a lot of questions and things as far as kind of after the fact. You can't go back and prepare once the baby's Mm -hmm. there. So what are kind of your top tips for maybe navigating these conversations, but also kind of improving your both emotional and physical connection after baby is born? First of all, you have to find the right time to talk about these things. You know, in the middle of a fight or when you're both exhausted or tired or pissed off at each other, that's probably not the time. You have to set the mood. You have to set the tone. Come together as a team or one of you approach the other and say, hey, look, you know, there's certain things that I'm noticing are not going the best in our relationship. And I think there's a lot of room for us to improve as a couple or as parents. So do you think we can sit down uh, tomorrow night or tonight or this weekend and have a chat about this? Create that time because a lot of times couples are trying to have these conversations in the middle of a very conflictual moment. And that's when it's, you know, arguments, defensiveness, blame throwing, all of that is that is what's happening. But set a time aside. This is a serious conversation to have. And it's not a one time conversation. It's an ongoing conversation. You got to keep checking in with each other. 
set checkpoints. Like, you know what? Once a week, we'll sit down and we'll sort of have, call it a business review team meeting, you know? Like, let's review how we did as a team. You know, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? And how can we help each other out? What can I do to be a better teammate? What can you do to be a better teammate? And talk about your expectations. You know, I noticed I was expecting you to help me out with the baby as soon as you come home from work. But I realized I never communicated that expectation to you. And it's a little unfair that I'm expecting that without talking to you about it. So I want to share that with you that when you come home from work, you know, I'm really hoping that you're going to help me. And also being mindful of not demanding things out of your partner. You know, your partner is a person worthy of respect. They're a person too. You can't demand things of each other. You have to learn to make quests. And making requests usually goes down way better in a relationship than demanding something of another person. Yeah, absolutely. One question, and we didn't have this in our roadmap, but it's Mm -hmm. coming up for me now, is that you just mentioned conversations being ongoing. And I think that's a great point. Amanda and I have talked a bit about changes, you know, and how things can definitely change. You might think you want something or you might think you have a plan for something in the realm of parenthood, but then your baby gets here and you feel very differently or Mm -hmm. your instincts kick in in a way that you're not expecting or you're viewing a situation with a new set of eyes, like through a new lens. Yeah. Now you are a parent to this baby. And so sometimes things can change. Again, I think especially for mothers, things can change. And so the ongoing aspect of having the conversations I think is really important. But mm-hmm. what would you suggest when a couple comes to a situation in which they're really not seeing eye to eye? Dad mm-hmm. wants to sleep train mom does not. And Mm -hmm. maybe it's something they talked about pre-baby and they both agreed, but now baby is here and they completely disagree. Mm -hmm. What happens in those situations or what would you suggest? How does a couple navigate sort of these like deal breaker moments where they're on complete opposite sides of the fence? Yeah. So number one, I think when that happens, when two people are, you know, hell bent on sticking with what they believe is the right thing to do, that already is not starting off the conversation on the right foot because you've already made up your mind. I'm right. You're wrong. This is the way it's going to be. That's just not the way that a healthy partnership works. You know, both people are bringing valuable points to the table. The, The parent who wants to sleep train probably has very good valid reasons why they want to. And the parent that doesn't want to sleep train probably also has their valid reasons why they don't want to. But when you enter the conversation with the mindset of, I need to win this because I want to sleep train my child, or I need to make sure my my you know child doesn't go through the sleep training process, you've already come to the table with your mind made up. So now it's not a conversation. If you enter the conversation with the mindset of my partner, who is a person of, you know, worthy of respect, and they also have valuable things to say and bring to the relationship, I need to understand why is it so important to them that we don't sleep train the child or why we do really understand where your partner is coming from. That in itself can begin to actually shift your perspective and bring the two of you closer together. Because you might start to realize what they're saying is, okay, like that makes sense. I get it. I relate to it. I understand it. Or even if I don't, I get that it's important to you. And this is what's important to me. And this is why it's so important to me. So now that we've explained our reasoning and we've genuinely understood each other, not from this, you know, gloves out fighting standpoint, rather being really curious and compassionate and respectful. Like if they really don't want to sleep train the baby, they must have reasons. 
I should really listen to them. Not listen to argue, but listen to understand. There's a big difference between the two. And when you start engaging in that sort of conversation, when you're really listening to understand, you're asking questions, you're being respectful, all those things, and your partner is able to do the same with you, you'll notice that itself will start bringing two people closer together. Those two people will realize they're actually not as opposite ends of the spectrum as they thought. Because in in, in talking and listening and understanding where each person is coming from, the two people often in my experience, do come to realize, huh, okay, we actually have a lot of similar ideas than different right now. You know, think about what brings the two of you together. We both really care about the baby. Okay, does that bring, is that point bringing you guys closer together? It is. We want to make sure the baby gets the best of, you know, sleep or whatever it is or comfort. Okay, so we're in agreement with that. We are just not in agreement of how we want to go about this. I know for my husband and I, when we've kind of had not necessarily see eye to eye on certain things for our daughter, I find having like, you know, like you're saying, having a conversation, we also, you know, we're first time parents. So a lot of the things that are coming up, he's never had a three and a half reel before. I never have. I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't know a lot about these things. It's just like, oh, I heard this or let's try this. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the stuff we will research together. So that's something we've done like, and we'll just learn together because, and then from there you can make, you know, an executive, not executive, but informed decision on what is best for your individual child. And then there's a lot of things that my husband's like, well, you know, you're the parent who is home all day. So if this is what's going to make your life easier, if that's what works for you, then, you know, continue to do so. And I know my husband casually mentioned like a year ago, he went to private school and he was like, oh, that would be something I would want for our children. I was like, oh, like, I've never heard you mention that. And it wasn't a disagreement. Mm -hmm. I was just like, oh, like, we've been together 12 years and that was never something. And he's like, oh, it's never really come up. And it wasn't something that we sat down then and had a conversation and it hasn't really come up since then. But, you know, we'll sit down and we'll look, I guess, at private schools in the area and the expenses. And, you know, maybe he'll give me his reasons of why it's important to him and why I don't necessarily see the importance and have a conversation Mm -hmm. about it. And I know um, we actually put a question box on our Instagram yesterday and we got tons of tons of responses. And there is two common themes. The first one being mom having a lot of resentment towards the partner, like Mm -hmm. the default parent, uh, not helping out as much, not listening, you Mm -hmm. know, to their needs or wants, not taking responsibility for the child. And then the other common theme is physical intimacy, sex, Mm -hmm. whether, you know, the name of our podcast is Coffee and Co-Sleeping. The majority of our listeners and followers do co-sleep with their child, which kind of puts a strain, doesn't have to, but oftentimes put a strain on the physical part of the relationship and feeling emotionally disconnected to even consider sex. So those are kind of the two themes. Could you touch a little bit? um, We haven't Mm -hmm. talked much on uh, physical intimacy yet. So could you touch a little bit on that? I know for me personally, our daughter just moved out of our room about six months ago. So, you know, when there's a child sleeping in your bed, you have to get a little bit more creative with having mm-hmm. sex and making time for it. So I feel for me personally, it wasn't so much the location or mm-hmm. having the space to because I have other rooms in my home, but it was just making it a priority, making it a time, you know, making a time to set aside for that. But if you could kind of just share some of your tips and advice for that. From my experience working with couples when intimacy is an issue, oftentimes I notice there's a lot of disconnect emotionally between the two people. It's coming out in the physical intimacy area, but if two people are not connecting emotionally, 
you know, physical intimacy is going to feel harder. And this is especially true for women. Biologically, we need, uh, or most most women, I wouldn't generalize, most women require connection. We need connection with our partner, with our significant other, to feel that sense of physical intimacy. For men, it's a little bit different. They don't need that emotional connection to, you know, feel turned on or want to be with another person. It, it, it just works differently biologically for most men than it does for women. And I think that's a factor that a lot of male partners don't realize. And on the other end, women, the moms, of you know, are often the default parent. They have way more on their plate. You know, they're feeling more mentally, emotionally, physically exhausted and drained. They feel like their needs are not being met by their partner. Like they're just taking care of you know, the baby's needs, who's taking care of their needs. And that's where that resentment piece that you brought up starts to come in. And when there's resentment, there's not going to be emotional intimacy for a woman at least. And when there's emotional intimacy, without the emotional intimacy, the physical intimacy piece is always going to feel more difficult. Because as you said, I mean, it's not that difficult. Find a different room, have sex, you know, there's a way to do it. But then why is that not happening? So I'd argue and say there's probably other stuff that's missing in the relationship that probably needs to happen first for the physical intimacy stuff to become easier. And then secondly, like probably tired and exhausted and physical intimacy is not the first thing, maybe even not even the last thing on your mind. A lot Mm -hmm. of those first few nights or weeks and months, it just might not be on your mind um, for the default parent at least. You tie those two points in very nicely because I do think they are kind of connected. For me, a lot of the times I start like in my head, I have half a conversation and then I finish the conversation to my husband and he has no idea what's going on. And then the next Mm -hmm. day it's like, why didn't he do X, Y, and Z? And it's like, oh, you actually never told him in your head you did. Something that we did, gosh, years ago, I would say it was shortly after we got married, we filled out like on one of our cross-country road trips. It was like this little book. It's like these question prompts to ask like both couples and stuff. And I feel like things like that are kind of fun to do. We'll go back and we'll we'll like read it and like we'll laugh. I mean, we were like 21. So like we'll laugh at a lot of the stuff or like a mason jar filled of date night ideas. And I know for somebody like myself, you know, having somebody to watch your child, you know, once a week or, you know, I have friends that do weekends away with their spouses mm-hmm. and I'm like, shit, like that would be wonderful. But like, I don't, that's a privilege. I don't have that. You know, I live mm-hmm. so far from family and I don't know even if I lived close, if I would have that opportunity. So taking, you know, for my husband, and I taking advantage of the time that we do have and, you know, using the resources that we have and the friends and family that we do have that are willing to help. So like, you know, after my daughter goes to sleep doing, even just sitting on the porch and, you know, having no devices, you know, having like a cup of hot chocolate, something like that to reconnect in those few minutes is really important. And that's just something that we found that have worked for us. And Mm -hmm. I always tell everyone, we've talked about it before, but doing your um, love language, finding out Mm -hmm. what that is. Because I was surprised by what mine is. I didn't realize that I'm acts of service. And mine actually changed after having our daughter. And I think that's important too. I know we talk so much about changing and evolving. And that's why it's so important to keep getting to know your partner, right? Keep having those conversations. You touched on that when you said, you know, I I would realize I would do half the talking in my head and the second half is what my husband would get. That's what I meant by mind reading and assumptions. Like Mm -hmm. 
We do so much talk in our own heads. We don't do enough of it in the relationship. And you know what? It's it's not anyone's fault because these basic skills are just not taught. Like, I feel like there should be a class in schools, like starting in elementary school that Mm -hmm. has to do with mental health related topics, such as emotional regulation skills, communication skills, you know, how to let someone know you're upset with them sort of skills, you know, like, Mm -hmm. it's just there should be a class that teaches human skills like these, which are not taught. We're just taught math, science, English, arts, you know? And him and I both do that. Not even about things about the relationship. He'll be talking about like a friend or something at work and I'll come in halfway through and I'm like, I feel like there's a beginning part to that story that I didn't get. And you know, I love all of the details. So start over and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me go back. Let me go back. Yeah. And those kind of things just, my husband and I are both big, big talkers. So sometimes half the Mm -hmm. conversation, I need it all. I need all the details, all the juicy deets. Oh, I'm the same way. And my husband's totally the opposite. He literally Uh skips all the details and gives me like a basic outline. And I'm just like craving for more. I'm like, wait, (laughs) go back, start again with every detail in between. (laughs) So yeah, I think, but also just, you know, to the listeners to keep in mind that working on your emotional intimacy is great. But just know that there's certain things that inhibit your ability to connect with your partner and resentment is an example of that. So I would recommend first addressing the resentment piece before working on the emotional intimacy piece. Because what's going to happen is, let's say you have built up intimacy around you and you sort of ignore that and you're like, you know what, let's just work on our emotional connection. You know, you know, hey, babe, let's let's start doing like date nights at home every week or something. Okay, sure, that starts to happen. But because you have built up resentment, one tiny thing here or there goes off, you're upset about something now. And that resentment just builds up even more because that resentment is literally it's coming in the way of your ability to connect with your partner. So you first have to be able to address things that are hurting inside of you, learn to resolve them with your partner in a healthy and effective manner, and then take the next step towards emotional intimacy. So that would be my recommendation if you're trying to work on emotional intimacy and eventually physical intimacy, work on the things that are hurting inside first. So I want to shift gears a little bit to talking about couples counseling. Mm -hmm. Um, My partner and I did actually embark on that journey during pregnancy. And we learned a lot about, I think, ourselves during that time. And just based on my experience, I think this is just my suggestion as someone who went through this recently. Couples counseling, while it didn't necessarily save our marriage or change the outcome that was going to be, Mm -hmm. um, I still learned a lot from the experience. I think we both did. I definitely don't regret doing it, but I also wish that I had at the same time been in counseling myself, like alone, Mm -hmm. because I think what can happen is that when you're embarking on something like that, it can be difficult in the beginning. And sometimes some of your own stuff pops up. And sometimes it's good to work that out with someone privately. Um, Not that you're keeping secrets from your partner, but I think it is a very different experience to be in therapy by yourself and working on things that may have nothing to do with your partner, may actually be things that are affecting your relationship with your partner subconsciously Mm -hmm. um, on your own. That's just my two cents. Mm -hmm. But can you please talk to us about What to do if your partner doesn't necessarily agree to seeking therapy at any point in the relationship, whether it's post-baby, pre-baby, you Mm -hmm. maybe come to a point where you recognize that, okay, 
we need outside help, or I think we could use some outside help. I think that could be really helpful in managing whatever it is that's happening between us. How would you navigate a conversation with someone who maybe is opposed or has preconceived notions about what therapy looks like? Maybe they have some fears surrounding it. They're generally just not open to it. They're not educated on it. How would you navigate a conversation with a partner that's not open to it when you really believe that it could be helpful? Yeah. So as I was saying earlier, these types of conversations, you cannot approach them with a preconceived idea that your way is the right way. You have to approach these conversations with an open mindset. Understand, don't come with the idea that, well, therapy is what we need. That's the right way to go. And I need to somehow convince them to get on board. Just change gears and just go into the conversation saying, you know what? He probably has valid reasons or reasons that feel really valid to him at least and why he doesn't want to do couples therapy. So let me just, this conversation, let's just focus on trying to understand. And also not every conversation needs to be everything happening in that one conversation. You can break up conversations, especially if the two of you tend to get escalated or heated or things start to get out of hand. Keep conversations simple, basic, one thing at a time. Conversation one could literally be just understanding, like over dinner, like, hey, so, you know, I noticed a couple of times I've brought up the idea of therapy and you've sort of shrugged it off. I'm curious what, you know, what what makes you not want to go to therapy? And then when they're giving you their response, don't argue, don't defend, don't contest that point. You're not in a debate. You're not trying to convince them. You're trying to understand them. So have that open mindset. Really try to understand where they're coming from. What, even if it does not sound true to you, even if you don't believe in it, it doesn't matter. It's, it's true to them. So they believe in it. So just get on board for a minute. Try to understand where they're coming from. And either in that same conversation or if you feel like, you know, you'll just sort of let it sink in, process it and come back later. And then later at a later date or in that same conversation, if you're able to just be like, you know, I, I heard what you had to say and you know, I get it. Like those sound like valid points. I'm curious though, would you be open to listening to my side of things? That could be one way you could approach it. Another could be, you know, I'd be curious if you'd be open to learning a little bit more about it with me. Um, Or let's say if they have fears attached to it. So whatever it is that they're bringing you, then gently offer, see if there's an opening to show them a different perspective, not to convince them they're an adult, they can make their own decision, but for you to be able to find an opening for them to see a different perspective. That would be, you know, one way to navigate these types of conversations. And as always, not everything has to be a one-time conversation. In fact, it shouldn't be. You're in a partnership. Have ongoing conversations. Often find too that there's so much stigma surrounding mental health and therapy. And I do think with the pandemic, a lot of people were seeking more therapy and have become mm-hmm. it's become more accessible through telehealth and just different schedules. And I know I don't want to make a generalization, but I also find that most men are not really open to therapy. We had friends that they're a couple. And he would vent to my husband, like things Mm -hmm. that kind of airing out dirty laundry, things that have definitely Mm -hmm. should have, I wouldn't want my friends knowing Mm -hmm. kind of things. And my husband recommended to him, like, have you guys tried therapy? And he was like dumbfounded that my husband, you know, a grown man would recommend that he, you know, seeks Mm -hmm. an outside source. And my husband told him, well, you're asking me for advice. I'm an outside source. Like, wouldn't you rather somebody? So I think there is kind of that negative perception when it comes to therapy. And I do 
think that social media can go either way. I think there's pages like yours that people can see like, hey, this isn't so scary. It's not so intimidating. Mm -hmm. She looks really friendly. I could tell her all my problems. Or Mm -hmm. it can go the other way where people will really be going through shit and they're putting on kind of this, you know, facade and you think everything's perfect and you look at them and they're like, I'll never match up to that or my marriage will Mm -hmm. never be that. And I'm not saying that everyone should go on social media and air out their dirty laundry, but, you know, that's why I, you know, not only respect you know, accounts like yours are, but I also, you know, appreciate Adriana as my partner in this, who's opening up about, you know, what she's been through and her relationship and, you Mm -hmm. know, kind of offering another side of things because we don't often hear about, I feel like single motherhood and single parenting isn't represented in the way that it is. So kind of Mm -hmm. seeing the other side of that is really nice for parents who are going through that. And, you know, it makes those parents who are going through that not feel so alone. And that's really what both of our platforms are all about. We just want to normalize these conversations. And I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but I wanted to make sure that, you know, doing a relationship episode was so important to both of us. And Adriana and I are both in very different wheelhouses when it comes to that. See, that also then helps when we open up these conversations, again, not as a way to scare, but just to normalize, like, hey, this is all part of parenthood, motherhood, partnership, all that stuff together. You know, it also then helps prepare couples who are expecting or who, you know, are just thinking about babies. You know, it it, it opens up the mind to, oh, so there is something that will shift or change or be difficult in our relationship after baby. So when it happens, it doesn't feel like, oh my God, we're not meant to be together. This is horrible. We're supposed to break up. No, every even if you were not with this person, you were with another person in a different relationship, you, that relationship will still struggle because every relationship does struggle. And if that was normalized, made it like normal information that's out there, like, oh yeah, of course, like your relationship struggles a bit, but then you get back, you get back on board and you figure things out and then everything is good. Or it can be good with the right help and support, you know, because there's so many rates of people breaking up after they have their baby, especially in the first year, Mm. which is why, again, it drove me to wanting to bridge this gap in society and offer mental health and support services. So couples don't break off because it breaks my heart. You bring this life into this world. And I know as a couple therapist, you have the capabilities to make it through with the right help, support services and preparation. I'm not saying every relationship can make it through. Some really should break away, break apart, you know, toxic, really extremely toxic relationships, abusive relationships. I'm not talking about those relationships right now. I'm talking about your average relationship. You know, the average couple where extremes are not happening, the normal struggles of life are happening. It just breaks my heart when I see those couples struggle and then break up when I know there was a way to make it through if the couple was given the right resources at the right time and the right information at the right time and the skills given the skills to navigate the challenges at the right time. Um, And also just to go back a little bit on the therapy point, like if your partner is not willing to go into therapy and you've had these conversations and they still don't seem willing, I'd encourage whichever partner is willing to go ahead and get started because one partner creating changes can absolutely vibrate, you know, changes in the relationship. One person can start to positively influence another 
partner in the relationship. I have worked with, um, let me see, is it? No, I would say it's, it's usually, no, I've seen, I, I think I've seen both sides. I've seen, you know, a male partner too and the female partner's resistance. So I, I've definitely seen both sides. I work with that one partner, whether it's the male or the female. And, you know, they're working on things, they're, they're improving, they're growing, they're changing and they're evolving. And then they start telling me either one, changes that they're starting to notice in their partner, positive changes, or two, they start telling me, oh, so my partner is actually interested in therapy. Would you be able to take us on as couples, as a couple therapist? So it does start to shift because what happens is the resistant partner starts to see positive changes in the other partner. And then that makes them a little bit more trustful of the process of therapy. And it kind of sells it to them when they start seeing positive changes in one person. I think there's also this fear when it comes to couples counseling that you're going in to sort of find out whether or not you should be together. And that is like the most dire, like, okay, we're on the verge of Splitsville sort mm-hmm. of situations. That That's rarely the case. Usually when you're entering couples counseling, you're just, you're at odds about something or you're struggling and you can't seem to quite close the loop with each other. So, you know, it- that would be ideal, but it's, it's so unfortunate how escalated some couples show up to therapy and how many times I have heard, well, this is our last chance. You're, you're our last chance. I'm no like, pressure though, right? No Dang. pressure, right? Like I'm supposed to save your marriage. You waited 10 years before mm-hmm. coming into therapy. You let all this build up and you're giving me about five weeks time to help you. Like five hours. <laughs> yeah. Five hours to help you 10, 10 years worth of damage. Like that's, that's not a fair expectation of therapy or of the therapist or of your mm-hmm. relationship. I've heard of so many people saying, you know, friends, family, oh, we're in therapy. This is our last shot. This is our last resort. And I always think, Mm -hmm. like, why did you let it get to this point that this is now your last resort? Like that, that just seems one, I guess, a lot of pressure for you, but like a lot of pressure on the couple too. It just, oh yeah, I think everyone, I mean, we're both of us are huge proponents for mental health and therapy. So I think waiting until, you know, a last resort isn't usually beneficial. Um, before we run out of time, before we go, um, we ask all of our guests, what is your go-to coffee order? Ooh, okay. So, so the thing is, I, I always say this, I'm, I don't, well, I don't know, maybe people might defer in my, in my close circle. They might say, no, you're pretty annoying about a lot of things, but I'm going to say I'm not annoying about a lot of things. But the one thing I get annoying about is my coffee. It has to be right or I'm just not a happy camper. So my coffee go-to order is it's a medium roast with a pump of vanilla and steamed cream. That sounds delicious. Has to be perfect or it's not happening. Yeah, yeah. It has I, to be I, I respect that. I respect that though. There's yeah, I'm kind the of the same right way. amount of brew, the right type of brew, the right like amount of the pump. You know, you can do less than one pump or, you know, it has to be just right. And the steamed cream also has to be right. The amount, the temperature, all of that. I also, um, I saw on Instagram too before, I want to make sure we touch on it real quickly. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping you have a release date, but you are finalizing your book. That is correct, right? Yes. So I am writing Stronger Together, A Couple's Guide to Navigating, navigating Your Relationship After Baby, which is literally the topic of today. Um, So this book is actually written for all the couples who are in the postpartum period, but it's actually also very relevant if you're an expecting couple or a couple in a committed relationship, because a lot of the stuff that I talk about is 
good general skills for any healthy relationship, you know, such as communication, um, improvement, connection, all those things. So I would say it's for couples in their 30s who are either in a committed relationship, expecting or have had their first baby or their parents to small babies, uh, you know, one or two babies. It's a it's a relevant book if you fit in any of those categories. Thank you so much, Zara, for this conversation today. We're really grateful to have you on. There, This was jam-packed with just everything we could have hoped for out of this conversation. I know our listeners are going to love this one. And I just wanted to leave our single parent listeners with a little bit of hope that it does get easier. And if you are, in fact, not in a loving, respectful relationship that you are very worthy of, you are far better off on your own than you are in a relationship that's really not serving you in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. I feel better inside, outside, in all ways um, as a solo parent now Mm -hmm. than I did in the relationship that I was in. Um, And that's not to place any blame on one side or the other. It just was not the right relationship for me. So if you are not in in a working relationship or if you are a solo parent right now, it does get easier and it is far better than being in the wrong relationship. And I you don't have to that. do it alone even so. Even if you don't have a partner, you know, seek and I hope the right support and services are provided to you as well because all parents need support, whether you're in a partnership or not. You know, Absolutely. it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to lean on family members, friends, therapists, who, whomever. So you don't have to do it alone because really you should not be alone in this. And therapy has been a game changer for me in many different, different difficult moments in life, but especially in solo parenthood, finding the right therapist and connecting has been, has been wonderful and has been a big part of my journey. So that so was such a beautiful that. sentiment, Adriana. I love that. Thank you so much, Zara. <laughs> this was everything and more. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll catch you guys next week. Thank you so much for having me today. Take care.